Okay, friends, brothers and sisters, invite you to, to find your seat uh, and to open up your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2 today. 1 Peter chapter 1 and 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, and, uh, and just a little disclaimer, like I, yesterday I had a little tickle in the chest. I know, this is like the worst time. You go to the grocery store and all of a sudden now you like have to cough. Like all the eyes are on you. Um, but I had a little tickle in my chest and it's now like in my throat-ish a little bit. I, I feel, I don't feel great. I don't have a fever, so don't worry. But I don't feel really great. But um, uh, so, but I just kind of say that as a disclaimer because uh, as we're going through this teaching this morning, if I seem like I'm uh, all over the place, uh, because I think mentally I am. Like my synapses are clogged, my mom used to say when I was a kid. Um, so, but let's just jump in with our scripture reading this morning. First Peter chapter 1. And our reading will be from verses 22 through and, and actually into chapter 2. So it'll be First Peter chapter 1, verse 22, all the way through First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 3. And so if you are uh, there, I um, encourage you to follow along as I, as I read. Where Peter writes, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all the glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the lord is good and this is the reading of god's word and we say thanks be to god and let's pray father god here in the next few moments um, we pray that your words the words of that you inspired Peter to write to the churches that are scattered, the believers who are scattered uh, amid a growing persecution, that your word to them uh, would be a, your word to us and help us to, um, to understand and grasp the, the message of these words. And so I pray that here in the next few moments you would assist us in understanding. And God, I pray you give... Uh, me clarity of thought and of your words as we reflect and meditate on what these mean for us. And so uh, we give you thanks and praise for your word, uh, which as you we have just read, abides forever. And so we pray that that living and abiding word will speak to us this morning in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen. Uh, so the title of this 
this sermon here today for these passages or this passage of scripture from verse 22 into chapter 2 verse 3 is from born again to brotherly love from born again to brotherly love because peter is actually covering two topics here in these verses he actually starts with the the main topic and so he's just been addressing them about uh, being holy as the lord god is holy And then now he's talking a little bit more about their obligation as believers to one another. And so the main topic of these two main topics here is brotherly love, proper relationships among professing Christians or believers. The supporting topic in here is the born again part. So it's brotherly love and then born again are the two main topics here. And he starts with the the, uh, brotherly love one and then jumps to the born again one and then comes back to the brotherly love one. So if you could kind of get a a flow of of the passage, here would be a a good way of visualizing it here. Brotherly love, verse 22, as as he said there, having purified your souls by obedience to truth, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And then he goes into this little discourse about being born again. And then he comes back to the implications of of brotherly love, what that will look like for the believing community. And so this morning, we're going to look at three uh, three things. But I wanted to give you a flow of kind of the flow of thought there, because it seems like he he started on something, went on a tangent and is coming back. But it it does actually kind of make sense as we look uh, as we look through all of it. And so here's the first Uh, The first one I want you to notice is the main command to love one another in verse 22. The main command to love one another. And he does this. uh, So we're going to we're going to walk through this passage in following three uh, main points. The reason why we must love one another. Is the first one. What is the reason we must love one another? one another verses 22 and 25 so again the main command is love one another in verse 22 he says having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth okay he's stating a fact of their experience as christians but what does purified your souls and obedience to the truth what is that in reference to it could mean um and there's some, you know, some debate here, some uh, different ways that this could be understood. It could mean something like, well, your obedience to the truth is your obedience to God's commands in your daily living. In other words, your, your sanctification, which would kind of make sense off of what he had just described in the previous verses. That could be it. Um, there's another option, though, and this is the one I kind of t- lean toward, is that this Purifying your souls by your obedience to the truth refers to hearing the gospel and responding to it appropriately. So in other words, he's referencing more their conversion instead of their sanctification. Okay? Your conversion instead of your sanctification. So it would be uh, something uh, like this. You have, since you have heard the gospel and believed and responded appropriately, therefore... You've, it's resulted now in brotherly love, and we'll get to that here in a moment, 
brotherly love, and therefore do it more and more and more. I think that that's kind of the main point, what he's saying there in verse 22. But I want to kind of give a little bit of my argument for why. Give my case. Give my case why I think that this is referring to his conversion. Um, Romans chapter 10. You could turn there if you would like. Romans chapter 10. Um, where this obedience to the truth or obedience to the gospel or the obedience to Christ is synonymous with faith. It's synonymous with repentance and faith and believing. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, this very famous passage where Paul is uh, talking about how, how can they call on him, how can they call on God or call on Christ whom they have not believed, how can, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they, this is those who have not believed the gospel, they have, he says, not obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So notice how obeying the gospel here in this section is synonymous with faith in Christ. Not obeying the, uh, the gospel is synonymous with not having faith in Christ. Here's another passage. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. When Paul's writing to the Thessalonians and he's... Uh, He's talking about how Christ is going to return from heaven to judge. And he says, when the Lord is revealed from heaven, this is in verse 7, with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. He says they will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Okay, so notice he's using that term obey. Those who do not obey the gospel are equated with those who do not know God and who will suffer eternal punishment. And he's contrasting that with those who have believed. So notice how uh, these obeying the, the gospel is equated with believing the gospel. And lastly, and if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 4, even here in 1 Peter, you have some evidence of this. This obedience, obeying the gospel is a synonym for having faith in or trusting in Christ in the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 17, Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be, meaning believers, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So again, notice that those who do not obey the gospel is equated with the ungodly, the sinners who remain under God's wrath. And that they're contrasted with Christians who have believed, who are members of God's household and who are righteous, not a righteousness of their own, but a righteousness of that comes from Christ through faith in him. So I, I take Peter's words here to say, uh, having purified your souls by your obedience um, to the truth, that this is code word for saying you became a Christian. 
having become a Christian. And he goes on now to say the result of having become a Christian, the result of that is now you love with a brotherly love. Again, notice again verse 22. Having purified your souls by obedience to truth, for, or this is a purpose statement, for a sincere brotherly love. And then here comes the command. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So what is the reason that we are to love one another? He says, well, first of all, you've become a Christian. And as a Christian, that's the defining mark of a disciple of Christ. Peter is echoing what he heard from Jesus himself, where he said, love one another. The world will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. Now he gets a little bit more into the reasons here of why we should love one another. And this is this tangent that he goes on that I spoke about earlier. He says, love one another earnestly with a pure heart since you have been born of God. Since you have been born again, let me say. Uh, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Here he returns to something that we, we have already looked at uh, uh, several weeks ago in this series. Notice at the beginning of the letter, verse 3. Right? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 1, verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Remember all of those words I just said there. He has caused us is the one Greek word. And he's returning to that idea now as the basis, the rationale for why we should love one another. You should love one another. Why? Because you've been born again. Because you have heard the gospel and you've responded appropriately. That you've purified your souls through faith in Christ. By obeying the truth, by believing in the gospel. And that you have been born again by the word of God. I'd like to kind of park on this one a little bit. This topic of, of regeneration. He explains the, the how of the regeneration. He only introduced it in chapter 1, verse 3. He's now explaining a little bit more how. How is it that we have been born again? First, there's a, a, a little syntactically here. Um, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and biting word of God. Meaning, the word of God is the instrument by which regeneration happens. And the second one is the imagery that's involved here. Notice the, how flowers are germinated. Okay, he continues. He pulls in this, this passage from Isaiah chapter 40 in the middle of this. To uh, help sub supplement his, his point, what he's saying. He's pulling from the scriptural verse here. And he contrasts this. Uh, he's using the imagery that Isaiah himself gives for the word of God. This imagery of flowers or grass and how they are germinated and how they, they grow. If we are born again by the Spirit of God, then the conception is by the Word of God. 
And Peter calls this seed. Notice the several different terms that he's using here. Verse 22, the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25, the word of the Lord from Isaiah chapter 40. And then in verse 25, he, he says that this is basically the gospel. So the word of God, both written uh, or the word of God announced and proclaimed by the apostles. It's hard to differentiate between, between the two. And that when that is happening, then you have the germination by the spirit of God and the word of God. And this is what Paul refers to where the gospel, this word of God is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God to cause you to, from being, uh, to move from being dead in your sins to being made alive. From being uh, in Adam to being in Christ. From being um, a, a creature to being a new creation. And this is the, the word of God, the gospel. Notice how he's just kind of mixing all of those, uh, those in. I want to read the context. I wasn't going to do that, but I encourage you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 40. Because I want to see a little bit of this context in which he, he's using this. It's, a, it's an amazing chapter in Isaiah's, uh, the book of Isaiah. The first 39 chapters, if you could break Isaiah down, you would say the first 39 chapters are the messages of, of judgment that is going to come on, uh, on uh, Judah. And then in chapters 40 through 66 of Isaiah, it is more the promise of hope and how God is going to restore his people at the end. So really, in, in a way, I think I had a professor who used to say this, that Isaiah is, uh, is kind of like the whole Bible in miniature <laughs> in some way. Uh, especially if you notice how it ends. It ends very similar to, um, to kind of what you picture in Revelation. But the first, uh, the Old Testament has 39 books. Uh, this um, section of judgment is the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. And then all of a sudden there's a radical change, this announcement of comfort and comfort for my people. And so I just thought it would be helpful for us to read this passage so we could see why Peter is using this verse. But then this passage just on its own should be an encouragement for us as believers. Of the power of God's word and the promise that he has of restoration of his people. Okay, so let me and I'm going to read all chapter 40, all 31 verses. And here's a couple things I want you to keep in mind as we're reading through this. There's three questions that are that are kind of uh, raised in this chapter and there's three answers given to it. The first question is, does, does the Lord Yahweh really want to deliver us? And then it kind of transitions to, can he really deliver us in their desolation, in their judgment, in their exile? And then lastly, will he deliver us? And the answer is, yes, Yahweh desires to deliver his people. Yes, Yahweh is able to deliver his people. And yes, Yahweh intends to deliver his people. With that in mind, uh, uh, follow along and hear this word of encouragement from Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people. 
says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice cries, a voice says cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all the beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up onto a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold, your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice or taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He is too impoverished for an offering, chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told from you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. He blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. 
Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right hand is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might. He increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. It's a beautiful passage. This words of a comfort. Yes, Yahweh desires to deliver his people. Yes, he is able to deliver his people, and he intends to deliver his people. He will abide by his promise, and he has spoken it. And if he has spoken it, it is sure and will remain forever. No earthly power can prevent God's grace on behalf of his people. And even though human human leaders, human opponents of God, they are like grass and wild flowers. They wither and they fall to the ground. They are completely unreliable. But The word of our God endures forever. Okay, Peter uses this passage. He's citing this beautiful passage to say, uh, to, to affirm the infallibility of God's word. Especially in its life giving power. To recreate his people. So he says, you have been born again and you have that assurance, that sure assurance uh, that because of the sure confidence of the, the source that it comes from, the word of God himself. That's what Peter is pointing out here in this this passage. You've been born again by the word of God. By the word of God and the spirit of God, you have been purified. And because of that, you must love one another. So that's the reason why. Well, the answer is because we are born again by the word of God. So what is the reason that we must love one another? That's in verses 23 to 25. He now moves on what we must remove to love one another. If you're going to love one another, there's some things that you just can't have a part of your community. And now let me back up real quick, though, to to point out a a key difference here in uh, this this. Uh, those the love that we are supposed to have notice it says in verse 22 a sincere brotherly love that is the greek word uh, philadelphia 
Okay? Like the city, the city in Pennsylvania, the city of brotherly love, right? Because that's the, the meaning of the Greek word, brotherly love. And he says, you have this. You have been born again by God. And you have now sincere brotherly love. But because of that, he says, now I command you, love one another. And here he uses agape. It's a different Greek word. What's the difference between the two? Um, there's some debate here on what, this, what he's getting at here. But I think generally Philadelphia brotherly love is a unique kind of love for, for Christians to have with one another. But agape love is the self-giving love that goes beyond that. And I love that what he's saying here, because if we remember the context or the setting here, these are Christians who are experiencing persecution. They're hated by the world. And so what he's saying is that one of the most important things that you could do in the middle of the, the persecution as Christians is to do a good job of having kindness and affection with one another and then taking it to the next level. When the world really starts to hate you, it's important for Christians to not just have Philadelphia love, but to have agape love with one another. And this is the emphasis is added by uh, his use of the word here earnestly from a pure heart. Which is pertaining to like being eager or intense or with perseverance. It's actually the word that's used of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Being in agony, he prayed earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood. Like drops of blood. Peter tells us to love each other with that level of intensity. I, I tell you, I love seeing after the church ser service... Um, what happens here uh, the other week I was just sitting back over there on that kind of over in that side of the room and uh, I was looking over here it was a full hour after the service had ended and there were probably eight to ten little groups little cells all around this room a full hour after the church service was over just talking and I was like when are these people gonna go home you know but uh, but I but I was I was loving it because I was like, boy, talk about brotherly love. We really love one another here. And as great as the Philadelphia type love is here, my prayer is that we would have more uh, agape love here. When you signed up to be a Christian through faith in Christ... The necessary corollary was Philadelphia love. But in times of trial, let's grow more and more into this agape love. This earnest, strenuous, intense, sustained, self-giving love with one another. So asking each other, how's it going? And fine not being a good enough answer. Agape love. So that's the reason we must love one another. Now let's move on to uh, some things that we need to remove in order to love one another. And he gives five things here in verse one of chapter two. So, okay, so you see how he's, he's gone to say, here's the reason that you should love one another. You've been born again by the word of God. 
Now, here's what you need to remove to love one another. And he lists five unloving, unchristian verses or vices. So he says, put these things away. These need to be taken off and removed. And he says, all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. There's five, five things there. Malice, some other ways of uh, translating this. Ill will, hateful excuse me, hateful feelings, spite, malicious behavior, viciousness, wickedness. It says that needs to be put away. All deceit, lying, trying to fool people, that needs to be removed. Hypocrisy or insincerity or pretenses. Now, hypocrisy here, the imagery is from uh, somebody who is a play actor in the theater. They're wearing, they're wearing masks to play different roles. They're, they're, they're not who they are in real life. It's somebody who uh, is play acting for, uh, for a crowd or for effect. Okay? So it's not somebody who just contradicts themselves. That's how it's often used today. Kind of somebody who says something, but then they live inconsistently. We all do that in some ways or other. But this is somebody who's intentionally putting on a mask, intentionally playing a role of somebody else besides themselves to other people. He says, Peter says, this also needs to be removed. This brotherly love is to be sincere, where he uses the word, the, the, um, he, it's like a, an anti-hypocrite <laughs> earlier. Our love must be sincere. And here he's saying, well, you need to remove all whatever hypocrisy would be left. Envy, he says, needs to be removed. Jealousies, being jealous of one another. And all slander, evil speech, disparaging remarks, carping criticism, backstabbing, malicious talk. He says these just have to be removed. Because these would have no place in the life of a Christian who has been born again by the word of God. And these things in particular are terribly destructive to a society uh, as a whole, let alone what it does to Christian community. So that's the reason we are born and uh, uh, we must love one another is because we've been born again. Uh, what we must remove to love one another is in verse 1. And what we must replenish with to love one another is found in verses 2 and 3. And he says this, verse 2. Like newborn infants. So he said, put away these things. And then he says, actually, you need to kind of almost be like childlike. Like newborn infants crave or long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good well what does this pure spiritual uh, milk represent i think in this context it seems pretty clear this is another uh, another image that he's using for the word of god that he's just mentioned in a couple of verses that the very word of god that causes us to be born again is what also nourishes us and strengthens us in faith and peter says replenish yourself on the word of God. The word of God that causes you to be born again is the same word of God that will uh, give you what you need to grow. So friends, let us love 
one another sincerely and intensely from a pure from from a pure heart because we have been born again let's pray together Father God, we, having heard your word, make it do its work that this very passage tells us that it does. Help these words to cause us to continue to grow in the salvation that it has brought us into. Encourage us and make it change us. God, I pray for this, uh, this church body that we would be a place that truly and deeply loves one another from a pure heart. That we would move beyond just brotherly love but that we would move to agape love. The self-giving and sacrificial love for one another. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would cause that to happen in this church community. And that you would do so for the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Not for our own, but for his And God, we want to thank you now that we could participate in this meal together in fellowship with one another. And it's in Christ's mighty name that we give thanks to you for all these things. Amen. Brothers and sisters, will you stand for our closing uh, benediction? Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, our Father, and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.